0: Good evening, church. This is week five of our series entitled Contrast, and we are in the book of 1 Peter, and we are starting today in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19 in the English Standard Version, and so you can follow along on the screen or you can read along in your Bible. So would you read with me? It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, to a faithful creator, while doing good, this is the word of the Lord. Well, church, it is great to be back. I've been away for the past uh, two weeks. Took some time with the family just to rest and go on vacation. It was much needed. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you resonate with me in this. That when you go on vacation, you you create all of these plans. You're like, I- I'm going to read all these books. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to start to journal. And I had all those plans, and I did none of those things. I did none of those things. Really, what I did was just rest and have fun, which was exactly what I needed. And one of the things that I started to do on vacation was to read a new book with my oldest son. started to read the actually younger kids version of The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, And the Wardrobe, a book that I loved as a kid and I was excited to read it to him. And as I'm reading through it again, something stood out to me. There's a part in the book where Lucy, the youngest, and then Peter, the oldest, and Susan, the second oldest, they are on their way to meet Aslan, the Christ figure. And as they're traveling to meet him at the stone table, they come across Father Christmas, Santa Claus. And Santa Claus gives them gifts. And so Lucy, the youngest one, she gets a dagger, which she's a young kid. She gets a dagger, a little confusing. She gets a dagger. Then she gets a cordial, which is this magical ointment that can heal. And then Peter, who's the oldest, he gets a sword and a shield. And Susan, she gets a bow and arrow. She's the original Katniss. And then she also gets a horn that she can blow whenever she's in danger to to bring... uh, Someone to come save and to alert people. And as they receive these things, they're told that these are not toys, these are tools. So once they they get these gifts, these tools that they're going to use, and they meet Aslan, they start to talk to Aslan, he tells them that their fate is sealed, that their fate is that they're going to be kings and queens of Narnia. And once that happens, the white witch will be expelled, and spring will come, and life will come back. But then Aslan says to them, But you will not assume the throne without testing. You must be tested before you can assume your fate. And this stood out to me because this is true of our life and our journey. You see, our fate through faith in Christ is sealed and secure. Our fate is eternal joy, but we do not assume our fate without testing, without trial. And God gives us not toys, but he gives us tools that we are to use as we go through this period and this time and this journey of testing. And we're not tested so that we can determine whether or not we are worthy Or that God can judge us to see, if we done enough? Are we good enough? Did we use all the tools in the right way? Did we kind of earn that level that we needed to in order for that fate to come true? No, none of us are worthy. But we are tested so that God can grow us and refine us into the person that we will be. You see, the journey of life for the Christian is about becoming who we will be. We are on a journey of becoming what we will be. And that's what Peter talks about here in 1 Peter chapter 4, when he speaks about trials and he speaks about testing. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When you read that, what jumps out to you? Do not be surprised at the fire, fiery trial jumps out to me. Because that's like a little, little aggressive, fiery trial. We don't talk about that. But what really jumps out to me in verse 12 is it says, do not be surprised. You're going to go through trials. You're going to be tested. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Don't be surprised. Don't think that it's strange, he says. This is the journey of a Christian. Well, what type of suffering is he talking about? What type of trial is Peter talking about here? Well, he tells us in verse, uh, in verse 14, he says, or actually, sorry, in verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. So the trial and the suffering that Peter is talking about is not one that we experience because of the consequences that we face because of our actions. It's not the suffering that we face because we've made poor choices and therefore we have to face the consequences and suffer the pain of those choices. He's saying, don't suffer because you were a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, because you broke God's law, because you made wrong and sinful choices. No, the type of suffering that Peter is speaking about is two types. One, he says in verse 14, it is a type of suffering that you will experience if you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed. The first type of suffering he's speaking about that should not be strange to you, that should not take you by surprise, is that when you are insulted, when you are mocked, when you are outcasted, when you are oppressed because of your faith, that is a suffering that is true of every Christian. It's not strange, Peter says. And the second type of suffering that he speaks about that should not be strange and should be expected is suffering that is by God's will. It is suffering that God actually allows in your life. It's not because you made a poor choice and you faced the consequences. It's not because you were insulted or mocked. Or outcasted because of your faith. It is suffering that God allows. And so Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised, don't be shocked when you face trials. They are for your testing, both trials because of your faith and how the culture and others treat you, and also the trials that you will face because God allows them to grow you into the person that you will become. You see, what Peter is saying is that suffering is part of the journey. Part of the journey of life for the Christian is that we will suffer. We are told that we are going to carry our cross. I mean, the emblem of suffering is the picture of what it looks like To live the life as a Christian. To follow Christ is to carry your cross. Suffering is part of our journey. And I think many of us may recognize that because we're living through it. We've lived through it and we're living through it now. We know that suffering is a part of the journey, but we try to avoid it at all costs. We try to avoid it at all costs, even though we recognize it's part of the journey. And so I think what we do is we begin to create what I call suffering hacks. Because we we want to mitigate suffering in our life. We don't want suffering. It's not pleasant to go through that kind of pain that we can experience. And so we find ways to mitigate it. We have these hacks. So one of the hacks that I, I think is very prevalent, especially in today's day and age, is that if you have people in your life that are causing you suffering because maybe they disagree with your lifestyle or they challenge your opinions, then you just remove them. Just remove anyone in your life that, you know, may create difficult conversation or may push back against you or may challenge you. Just remove them and surround yourself with people that think like you and act like you and tell you that everything you think and everything you do is right and good. It's a suffering hack. Another suffering hack is that we pour ourselves into our work to distract us from the pain that we're experiencing in other areas of our life. Do you resonate with that? Pour yourself into your job. Pour yourself into your dreams, your vocational dreams, to distract you from other sources of pain. Another one that is, I think, uh, a struggle for many of us in this pandemic is focusing on leisure and comfort. You know, we've had so many things stripped away And so it has been really easy to try to mitigate suffering and hide suffering and sweep it under the rug by just focusing on leisure and on comfort by spending way too much time on social media, by spending way too much time watching Netflix, by spending way too much time on YouTube. I mean, Netflix now, guys, has a shuffle option where you don't even know what to watch. You just click the shuffle and it shuffles random shows. I mean, this is out of control. But we can focus on our leisure and we can... Use that as a tool to sweep our suffering under the rug, to not think about our pain. Another one that's common is that you seek to try to make yourself feel good by way of sex or pornography. Things that make you feel good, that bring about intimacy. And you engage in those things in ways that you shouldn't. And you know they're harmful, but it's a suffering hack. Then another one is that you give way to to drugs and alcohol, things that can actually numb the pain of suffering. You see, suffering is a part of life, and it is part of the Christian journey, but it is something we avoid at all costs, and we also avoid it in regards to God's grace. What do I mean by that? God's grace is costly. It is not cheap. And yet, sometimes we avoid the costly nature of God's grace. And even the suffering involved. Because it's difficult. And so we presume upon grace. God's grace is costly. It costs Christ his life. And God's grace is freely given, but it is not cheaply established. Did you hear that? God's grace is freely given, but it is not cheaply established. What does that mean? Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks a lot about costly grace and cheap grace, and he has a great quote where he says this, What has has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. You see, grace is costly. It, cro- it cost Christ his life, and Christ paid in full the debt of our sin. He took our sin and our shame and our guilt, and he paid for it with his life. It is costly, but it is not established in our heart and in our life in a cheap manner. In fact, the way that God establishes the reality of his grace in our life that has already been paid for, that has already been freely given, is he allows suffering and pain to produce that within us. You see, we have been fully justified. We have been made right before God through faith in Christ. We, our eternal fate and destiny has been sealed through faith in Christ. We have infinite grace made available to us. We have eternal joy awaiting us, but we face temporal pain. Because though there is infinite grace available to us that never runs out of stock, we don't always live in that reality. We don't always access God's grace. We don't always come to God's word, a tool that has been given to us as we go through this period of testing. Rather, we presume upon grace. And we kind of ignore God's grace at times. And we downplay the costly nature of God's grace and the way that God establishes it in our life. And so, God's grace is established in our heart, in our life, and in our own mind through pain and suffering. This is the Christian journey. In fact, Christian discipleship requires suffering. It is our journey. It is crucial because this, you cannot become like Christ unless you share with Christ in his suffering. You cannot become like Christ, which is the end goal of our journey. It is sanctification to become like Christ. It is the goal of discipleship is to become like Christ. You cannot become like Christ unless you share with Christ in his suffering. Peter says this, Look what he says in verse 13. He says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What an astonishing thing to say. To rejoice in your suffering because you are sharing in Christ's suffering when you suffer as a Christian or when God allows suffering by His will in your life, to rejoice, to be glad. How do you do that? Why would you do that? That is a shocking thing to say. To be glad that you are suffering, that you're going through pain. And Peter says, here's why. Because God's glory is revealed. When you rejoice... In suffering, when you share in Christ's suffering, God's glory is revealed in your life. You may think, what does that mean? Does it mean that God's glory is revealed in your life? It means that you will begin to see that your suffering has a purpose and it's preparatory. That God is in control of your suffering. That he allows it for a purpose and to prepare you for something. It is a testing. It is a trial. And it is, in fact, for your good. Your suffering is purposeful and preparatory. In verse 12, Peter starts out. We already read the verse where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised of the fiery trials That you're going to experience. And that word fiery jumps out. And it's an interesting word because in the Greek, that word connects with the Hebrew words used all throughout the book of Proverbs to speak about the refining process of gold and silver. The refining process of how gold and silver is made through fire. And so what is Peter saying? Peter is saying, don't be surprised about the refining process that God takes you through. But what happens in that refining process? Out comes gold and silver. Do you see this truth? Why you can rejoice in the midst of your suffering? It's because your suffering has a purpose to prepare you for something beautiful that God is doing in your life. The purpose is to prepare you for something beautiful. Here, here's what's happening. God is making gold out of you or silver if you prefer. Your suffering has a purpose to prepare you for something beautiful. I want to I do an exercise. Here's the exercise. I want you to think about your suffering. I want you to think about what you have been going through, maybe what you're feeling this week or these past several months or past several years. And I want you to think and say, my suffering is important and my suffering is valuable that's hard to say but it's true your suffering is important and your suffering is valuable because god has a purpose for your suffering to prepare you for something beautiful he is doing something in you and through you in the midst of your suffering and so you can rejoice you can be glad church i i want to tell you and just be real with you that I needed this sermon. I really needed this sermon. This is God's grace to me. I needed this passage because these past few months have been really hard. It's been a lot of pain. It's been a lot of suffering. The pandemic, I think, has been hard on everyone, and it's been hard on me. Navigating these unbelievable changes in church life and worship has been hard, it's been not, not been easy at all to lead and to minister with such social and racial unrest. has been hard, and I've been seeking God for wisdom and seeking to be empathetic and seeking to listen and be patient, and it's hard. It's been hard to assume labels been placed on me and misconceptions. It's not been easy at all. But this passage is... It's God's grace, and I need to ask you, church, I need your grace, but more than that, I need God's grace afresh and anew. I don't want to presume upon it. I don't want to sweep my suffering under the rug. I don't want to hide my pain away. I don't want to identify it. I want to own it. I want to say, hey, it's important, and it's valuable, and God has a purpose for it, and he's preparing me for something beautiful that he's going to do in me and through me because of the suffering and the pain that the past several months has brought, and that's true for you too. Your suffering has a purpose. Your suffering is preparatory. And here's something I was reminded of this week. When you suffer, you're closer to Christ. Do you realize that? When you suffer, you are closer to Christ. Why? Because you have a suffering servant. You are sharing in Christ's suffering. So when you suffer, you are closer to Christ. And so because of that, look what verse 16 tells us. Because of this reality, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed of your suffering. Don't hide your suffering. Don't sweep it on the rug. Don't compare it to other people. Don't be ashamed of it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Own it in that name, in that name as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Now, our context is a little bit different than the context to which Peter writes to the churches in Asia Minor. You see, many of them were understandably nervous and fearful of persecution that could result in death. But at the same time, I think the overriding fear from what we can tell from history was a fear that they would be brought before Judiciary councils that would deem them guilty of participating in an illegal religion that would bring about social disgrace, vocational disgrace, would affect their lives and people would judge them and insult them because they were a follower of Christ. That one rings a little bit more true to home and to what we experience, right? We have the beauty and the freedom To worship and to hold fast to Christ without fear of death in this country. It is a great blessing that not every country in this world has the privilege of claiming. But we do resonate with the truth that we are fearful and operate many times out of fear because we think we will be disgraced, we will be judged. We will be outcasted, we will be insulted because we follow Christ and we hold to that name, that name as a Christian. And Peter says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your suffering. Hold to the name that you are a follower of Christ. I've been thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? How how do we do that in the midst of suffering? And I think what he's driving at here is to consider how you speak about your suffering around other people, in particular people that are not following Christ. How do you speak about your suffering? Do you speak about your suffering like everybody else, where you're just complaining about it, where you're just lamenting it, where you're maybe evaluating your suffering if you have more or less than other people? Or do you speak about your suffering as important and as valuable Do you speak about God having a purpose for your suffering? Do you speak about the truth that you're holding fast to the reality that God is preparing you for something beautiful in your suffering, that God is refining you in your suffering? Do you speak about your pain and your suffering with joy? Because I believe that when we do, we glorify God in his name. We glorify the reality of who God is and what he's doing and we also draw people closer to Christ. I don't think there's very many evangelistic tools that are more effective than rejoicing in your in your suffering and suffering as a Christian, believing it's important and God is refining you and there's a purpose in it. So how do you speak about your suffering? What does that look like? Do you glorify God in that name? And I think that this is one of the ways that you can do good in the midst of your suffering, as he says in verse 19, which is the charge that Peter gives to the church. And so he gives it to us. And here's what he says in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is a verse that you should just memorize. So if you have your Bible, underline it. If you're at home, write it down in your phone and your notes app. Put it somewhere and memorize it. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Memorize that verse because look at the construction here. He's recapping everything he said. Let those who suffer, Peter is saying, don't be surprised. Your suffering is not happenstance. It is not God's judgment. It is not just bad luck. Don't be surprised when you suffer. Let those who suffer, which is all of us, according to God's will. Don't forget your suffering has a purpose and God is preparing you. It is God's will. So let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. This word entrust is so important to understand. This word "entrust." means to hand over something of value to the care of another. To hand over something of value to the care of another. It draws you to think about handing over of of money or of gold to a banker. Something of value that you literally hand over to someone else, and you're entrusting them to care for it and to protect it. You're depositing it. So Peter here says, let those who suffer according to God's will hand over their souls, their life, their heart, their suffering, their pain, their anxiety, which he will say in chapter 5, the next chapter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Entrust it. Deposit it. Don't hold to it. Don't hide it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Give it over, entrust it, and deposit it in God's hands because He will care for it. You can trust Him when you hand over your life and your heart and your suffering and your pain and your anxiety to Him. Why? Because He's a faithful Creator. He is a faithful Creator. He will uphold his promises. His purposes never fail. And he is preparing you for something that will be true. He will make gold out of your suffering and out of my suffering. You see, your fate is sealed through faith in Christ. But God is using the tools of your life. His word, in fact, even your suffering is a tool that God uses to grow you and to refine you in the person who you will be. A son, a daughter, a co-heir with Christ that is your secure fate, and he allows for you to go through suffering and ask you to entrust your life and your heart to him because he's a faithful creator. You see, church, God is refining you. He's refining you. He is making you gold out of you he is working all things as the apostle paul says in romans chapter 8 all things including your pain and your suffering for good and when you entrust when you entrust your life and your heart and your pain to god you will receive more than you relieve you will gain more than you give because you have a faithful creator and so take a deep breath (laughs) Take a deep breath. Identify your suffering. Own it. See it as valuable. And say, God, here, (laughs) you can have it. You have my heart. You can have my pain. You can have my anxiety. I'm going to entrust it with you because you're faithful. And I trust your plan and your purpose. And I know you're preparing me for something I could never imagine. And so I'm going to choose to rejoice I'm going to rejoice in my suffering. So I pray that we would do that together, church, and we would be an example to this world of what it looks like to suffer as a Christian. So will you pray with me? God, as we're reminded of the beauty of your word this evening, we confess that it's not easy we know that you have a purpose and we know that you have a plan and we know that you're preparing us. We know that you are making us into who we will be. We are thankful, God, that our fate is secure through faith in Christ, that your grace is freely a given to us. And God, we want to praise you that it is not cheaply established. It is hard to suffer and to go through pain, but God, we want to rejoice because we know you're in control and you're faithful. And so we hand everything over to you. God, I pray right now that you would bring to mind all of the pain and the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the depression that people are feeling, what they're going through, that you would call it to their mind right now and that you would allow them through the strength of your spirit just to hand it over to you right now in prayer to give you their heart in their pain, and to know, God, that you are faithful and that you will care for them, that they can cast it, they can entrust it, they can deposit it in your hands. Would you give us that strength, that freedom, and that joy, and allow us to suffer in a different way than the rest of the world so that many people can see you, God. They can see you, Christ, that you would be glorified, even in our suffering more profoundly in our suffering that you would be glorified. Use us, your church. Minister to us this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.